You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for January 10th, 2021, the first Sunday after the Epiphany. Today's sermon was given by the Rev. Peter Walsh. So this has not been a good week for the people of the United States. The events in Washington, D.C. this past Wednesday were shocking and appalling and galling. We watched as our governing process was temporarily torn apart. It it was rent asunder by a mob insurrection, an assault on the Capitol that was fomented by the President of the United States. This was just not politics. People died. The attack did not come from a malicious enemy. Americans. A commentator in the Wall Street Journal noted that they assaulted a building in which the top three people in the presidential line of succession were in the same room, a move that would be considered an act of war if it were perpetrated by an outside power. No civics lessons from elementary school with that cardboard cutout of the Capitol above the uh, above the blackboard or the the voice of our elementary school teacher explaining to us how the uh, parts of government worked together in a cohesive whole could have prepared us for this emotional trauma. What unfolded in our eyes in real time was kind of like the type of B-movie that I never watch. It was kind of like a nightmare that just turned out to be true. We have been tearing at each other in our country For so long, it seemed that the very foundation of our democracy and the walls of our government were literally being torn down. The Capitol Police were unable to hold the line. Barricades were broken. Walls and towers were scaled. Windows were smashed. Art was defaced. There were gunshots, right? And intruders sat in the president's chair in the Senate chamber where just an hour before, the Vice President of the United States had been seated doing his constitutional duty. The lawless ones roamed the halls and the offices and the chambers while the lawmakers hid in lockdown safe rooms. The violation of this this secular institution was so great that people began to use religious language. They said that it was a sacrilege and that it was a desecration. And there was and is outrage. On the left side of the aisle, there is outrage at the President of the United States, who they believe, many believe, is tearing our country apart. They see what happened on Wednesday as a natural outcome of years of behavior that they find uh, not only reprehensible, but utterly inconceivable. Lies are claimed as truth. We've lost the ability to agree on facts. Race baiting and bigotry come from the one person who is supposed to symbolize our country. Our enemies and our partners in peace are maligned. White supremacists in Charlottesville are said to be good people. The head of the KKK is not denounced. Kids are locked in cages at the border. Extremist conspiracy theories are given credence and empowered and 
whole large drafts of Americans now believe things that are not only preposterous, but are dangerous. The denigration of hardworking, dedicated government employees who are characterized as a deep state and not worthy of the trust of the American people. And a free-flowing Twitter feed that treats people with a shocking lack, uh, at times treats people with a shocking lack of en empathy and humanity, including the parents of fallen soldiers and POWs. These are actions that would get kids kicked out of high school. And so for many on the, le the left, the persistence and the insistence of false claims about the election are not just politics, they are an attack on the democratic process, the foundation of trust that underlies and vivifies the institutions of our government that we not only believe in, but for which many of our fellow citizens and relatives have given their lives. These people note that words have power, words are creative, and that the words of the President of the United States have created chaos instead of community. And these people are dumbfounded that their fellow Americans, that their friends and their family members have enabled this destructive behavior that they find not only unethical, but repugnant. And they are seeking some recognition from their family members and from their friends and from their fellow countrymen that what was wrought was not good. On the other side of the aisle, on the right side of the aisle, there is an equal outrage at the assault on the Capitol and the president's role in it. But they have a different perspective. For folks on this side of the aisle, they see the progressives in the Democratic Party as tearing down the American way, and they are dumbfounded that people believe in it. They believe that those on the left some believe that those on the left are so blinded by their own self-righteousness that they never considered that they may be wrong. They never considered that there is more than one way to look at things. They believe that these people are so self-unaware that they are not able to look in the mirror and see that they are guilty of the very same accusations that they make of the folks on the other side of the aisle. And moreover, they appoint they point toward this idea that their inclusive intentions have a way of shutting down conversation that is the very port, part and piece of the democracy they seek to uphold. They also note that there is a double standard. Where was the moral indignation during the multi-day siege of the Portland Federal Courthouse and the looting of minority businesses and the burning of buildings in the cities over the summer? Did no one notice that Fifth Avenue was boarded up? And they want people on the left to acknowledge that there were and have been many, many really good things that happened during the past four years. Many of our brothers and sisters who are black, who are indigenous and people of color, believe that it is the dominant white culture that is tearing at the fabric of our society. Many of these Americans feel doubly assaulted and insulted 
by the events of Wednesday. First, they feel outraged that the country that they live in, that they believe in, and that they fight for, remembering that our military is filled with many, many people of color. They love this country that they fight for despite the racism and anti-black bias that is deeply embedded in areas of our culture and institutions. Even on the day after Raphael Warneck, a black man, a descendant of a sharecropper, the, the lead pastor of Martin Luther King's church, was the first black man elected to a Senate seat to represent Georgia. We see the force of white grievance is so strong that near the rotunda that was primarily built by enslaved peoples, Confederate flags fly, and a gallows is erected with a noose hanging from it. These symbols of hatred make people of color fear for their life. And I don't mean people you do not know. I mean people that you know. I mean your friends. Some people of color in our congregation some of our fellow clergy in the Episcopal Diocese of Connecticut have a deep fear for their life. These are our friends who are black or indigenous, people of color. This is the reality that they live, a reality which most white people know nothing of. Secondly, many people of color ask the question, can you imagine what would have happened if the assault on the Capitol was taken by a very large group of black people. The imagination shudders to think what the outcome may have been. These people are outraged at what they see as a blatant double standard where pro-Trump supporters, who are primarily white, are treated completely differently than many in the Black Lives Movement. They wonder, how could the BLM protests in Washington, D.C. be met with military force, with helicopters buzzing the crowd, when an insurrection of white people who storm the Capitol and disrupt the nation's governance at the highest level doing a very important thing, how can that be met by ineffectual policing? How can it be that white people can attack the Capitol and law enforcement is totally unprepared, overwhelmed, and at times seemingly absent and periodically even gracious when the plans for the attack were well known to them and they were freely seen on social media platforms? Many black people and white people, too, see what Martin Luther King described as two different Americas. These people want white people to have the courage to acknowledge their privilege and to see how much more work we as a country have to do to combat racism and anti-black bias. And this includes the church too, for the black church only exists because the white church would not allow black people in it or would ask that black people sit in the balcony. I am reminded here of Mahatma Gandhi in India who became convinced that the way of Jesus was the way and he went to an Anglican church in India 
And as he arrived, he was asked by the white ushers to sit in the balcony. And he did not go back, for he said, these people may have the right message, but they do not live their words. Moreover, I might say that we have in our country a whole group of people, of our fellow Americans, who believe that the system of our country, that our social fabric is torn apart by a caste system of elites that casts them out. For them, this tearing down of the institutions of our country is the primary energizer in their lives. And for them, the mayhem on Wednesday was a day of delight. The attack was intoxicating and perhaps for many, one of the highlights of their lives. And for them on that day, finally, the real people and not the elites were ruling the government. These people are outraged and they want to be heard. They want to be in control. And for our enemies, for the enemies of our nation, the events of this past week have been a great gift. They see our country tearing itself apart in chaos. They see a country that exudes weaknesses. For a nation that spends billions of dollars on defense, it cannot even defend its own capital from its own people who are carrying clubs and sticks and pepper spray and sometimes not carrying anything. Moreover, for these people, for the enemies of our nation, the United States lost so much of its moral authority as its vaunted democracy looked more like a banana republic than a city shining on a hill. And this is particularly true for those authoritarian governments that lean away from democratic process and throw people in jail and have significant human rights violations. They want the United States to acknowledge that it's not perfect, that it is flawed as every other nation is flawed. On Thursday, a friend of mine, a very close, a person who's very close to me, who is mildly antagonistic toward Christianity, asked how I was doing. And I said, well, um, you know, I'm okay, but I'm, I'm, really, I'm really struggling with what's unfolding in our country and what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C. And this person said to me, why? Because it was all perpetrated by Christians? A comment hit me like a great blow in the soul. The world saw what I saw, which was Jesus' flags being carried by an insurrectionist mob like regimental colors into battle. The flags blew in the wind as an inspiration as they took the hill, and a huge cross was carried around in the middle of the mob. This attack was not perpetrated by Muslim extremists. Right? Imagine how that would be responded to. This attack was greatly brought about by Christian extremists. After all, there were weapons and pipe bombs and men in Kevlar vests with helmets. The Atlantic wrote an article soon after the event called A Christian Insurrection 
with the subtitle summary of the article, many of those who mobbed the Capitol on Wednesday claim to be enacting God's will. Christianity's torn apart too. For the people on the other side of the Isle of Understanding, including the three clergy of St. Mark's, this theological understanding is an aberration, it is an abomination, and it is an anathema. The article went on to say that these Christians may well have far more influence in shaping the reputation of Christianity in the outside world than many denominational giants. They helped stage a stunning effort to circumvent the 2020 election all in the name of their faith. What a loss if the world judges Christianity by what happened on that hill on Wednesday and not by the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, the most reverend Michael Curry and his articulation of the way of love as it is laid out by Jesus. Now, all that is happening in our country and all that has happened this past week is heartbreaking, but it need not be soul-crushing. We must confront these painful truths and we must meet this moment with a healing love. See, the fabric of our country is not the only thing that is torn and rent asunder. We hear this morning in our scriptures that Reverend Elizabeth read that the heavens were also torn asunder, right? They were ripped open and the very Spirit of God came down and not just alighting on Jesus, but into Jesus. The holiness of God made a home in this human being. And inspirited with that holiness, Jesus lived a way of love that transcended the cultural categories of his day. Jesus did not sit on the right side of the aisle. He was not a Sadducee. He was not a Republican. And Jesus did not sit on the left side of the aisle. He was not a Pharisee. He was not a Democrat. Jesus did not seek to overthrow the government. He was not a zealot, though he ate with zealots. And Jesus was not pro-government, though he did eat with tax collectors who were considered traitors by the Hebrew people because they were seen in support of an oppressive government. And in fact, St. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus was not a minority in his world. He was from the dominant Jewish culture, and he was a man. He was not excluded. He did not go to the Gentile court at the temple. He did not sit in the balcony, but he did always identify with those who were oppressed and outcast. Jesus broke bread with everybody. He ate with everybody. I think it's important here also to point out that Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was Jewish. If we are to bring sanity back into our country, we too must transcend the cultural categories of our day. 
We too must do as Jesus did and associate with everyone. We must break down the tribalism that threatens to destroy our country and engulf it in violence. We must invite people from the left side of the aisle, people from the right side of the aisle, and people who we have shunned and put in the balcony all to the center aisle. For people of faith, for Christians, that means we bring people to the center of an aisle where in pre-pandemic days, we would all come on our knees and with open hands before our Lord. We would share a divine meal together. One of the great privileges of being clergy is that you get to look at people's hands, the palms of their hands as you put a host in their hands. And what you see is that all hands are unique. And yet, they're all the same. We are all the same. Those that we love and those that we demonize are all the same. The clergy of St. Mark's, Father Justin and Reverend Elizabeth and I sent out a pastoral letter. And we said in that, that it is our great desire that just like the death of George Floyd brought out a moment of clarity, a kind of, can you see it? A watershed moment for change in the direction of our country. We hope that what has happened on Wednesday is a watershed moment for our country that can rescue us from this downward spiral, this polarized dysfunction, this incivility, this inhumanity. Our call as Christians is to be the same day by day when it is good and when it is not. We are called to live the way of love. And the way of love that Jesus outlines for us is rooted in the Hebrew Scriptures. It is rooted in the summary of the law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your neighbor as yourself. Imagine how, world, how different the world would be if we all did just that. As part of this way of love, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to tell the truth as we see it. We are also to build up the human fabric of our country, our culture, and the world. We are to love our enemies. This is a very specific teaching from Jesus. We are to love our enemies. And we are to heal divisions. This is the work of our lives. This is what is demanded of us. It is what the Lord expects of us. This is the teaching. And it is the measure by which we will be judged at the end of time. And it is what our country needs now. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.